Hey, this is Bev. I'm the host of People at Work. This is a podcast brought to you by Jostle. We're a tech company located in Vancouver, Canada, and we're interested in helping employees have successful days at work. And in order to do that, we have built a piece of technology called an employee success platform, which helps engage, enable, and celebrate every individual in their work endeavors every day. And at the same time, we're also interested in understanding what's going on in the world of work. So I have conversations like the one I'm going to have today. We do some research, we chat, we instigate, we experiment, um, all with the uh, goal of trying to make sure that we're doing everything we can to improve the work experience for every individual and build better organizations while we're at it. So I'm delighted to be back for another episode of People at Work today. And my guest is Bernadette Smith. Bernadette is with the Equality Institute, and she's also the author of a new book, Inclusive 360. Welcome to the show, Bernadette. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, why don't we start with uh, just a quick overview of what you do at the Equality Institute and uh, tell us a bit more about your book. Okay, so um, Equality Institute is a diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting firm. I personally speak and write. Those are my favorite things to do. I create curriculum. I in my heart, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I love to build things, and I'm working on some some fun new projects. And uh, what we do is we work with organizations to change the systems and the processes so that inclusion is the default. What I believe is that there are so many really well-meaning people and organizations that want to do the right thing to be more inclusive, but they also struggle to know where to start. They're afraid of getting it wrong. They're afraid of making a mistake and having that be an issue. And so they often don't take action. And what I love to do is help organizations get into action right away and help them realize that probably the best place to start is by asking some good questions and figuring out the current state so you can learn where to go. And that's really the the principle behind our work and what Inclusive 360, the book, is all about. It's about helping organizations, especially ones that are very early on in their DEI journey, move out of good intentions and actually into concrete action. It's very, very practical. I can certainly attest to those difficulties of going from idea and intention into action in my own organization. And I, th I think you're right. I think there is a lot of concern sometimes at the leadership level that you're going to put your wrong foot forward, especially with DEI endeavors. And it's really wonderful that there are people like you who are helping us as leaders to actually step down into, well, what's the practicality of actually getting to doing this, right? And just starting somewhere. You don't have to have it all solved either, right? You can just start doing small things which add up to a lot of action. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all humans and humans move quickly. We make mistakes. We have bias. All of these things are primal and normal. And because of all of this, because we look naturally for shortcuts and we look naturally towards patterns of familiarity, we are always going to be prone to bias. But if we change the system so that inclusion is the default, then there's less likelihood for human error. And so getting into action to change the systems, even in small ways, as you were saying, but setting up the systems to be more equitable can be really transformative. And it has a very cumulative effect. These little changes can have a really powerful cumulative effect on an organization. 
Yeah, and, and you know, our conversation here today is is going to center around in inclusion as well as psychological safety. And I'd like to just get your take on, you know, what does inclusion mean for you in in the workplace? And, you know, in particular, like what's changed around inclusion in the last 18 to 20 months since the pandemic arrived for us and shone a spotlight on how excluded some people might be, right? More so than we thought. Absolutely. Well, I define inclusion as ensuring everyone has a voice and recognizing that every employee and every customer is a stakeholder and giving them the space to share their voice authentically. And what I really believe is that uh, one of my gifts and what I feel like my purpose is, my why is, is to create spaces where more people feel safe enough to move freely through the world and the workplace and the customer experience as their authentic selves. And, And I think that's incredibly important. And there's a huge role for managers and leaders and organizations more generally to play in creating these psychologically safe and environments where people do feel safe enough to be authentically themselves. Yeah, I couldn't agree with with that emphasis more. Uh, you know, my personal belief and focus is on how important workspaces are in the average adult human's life, right? The amount of time we spend there, the impact it has, the people we come into contact with, the influences we have, the negative and positive experiences that shape us. I think we've underestimated the role of of workplaces in the health and wellness and feelings of belonging of adults for too long, quite honestly. Um, so I, I, I don't know. What's, what's, what's your take on that? Well, I think you're right. Absolutely. And that was to back, back to the, your previous question, which I, which I didn't answer, um, is that this certainly has been exacerbated through the pandemic, through the conversations about racial inequities, through the prolonged you know, pandemic. I mean, just going about to enter the third year of this. And so employees are speaking up and they're certainly showing their power by resigning. Um, they're certainly, they have the leverage now and they're sending a signal to their organizations and to companies in general. They're sending a signal that my voice matters. I want to be respected. I deserve to be respected and that you, you need us, (laughs) you need us. So that's really the, what I'm seeing now is the employees starting to have more leverage, having more power. And it's been a really interesting shift. And I especially find it fascinating how the shift has been playing out with frontline employees, customer-facing employees who historically haven't had a lot of respect, haven't been well-paid, haven't had equal benefits. And then all of a sudden, they were literally putting their, their lives at risk to care for us. And uh, and they are finally getting their own respect. And that's been sort of the most interesting thing I think I've seen throughout the pandemic is the employees taking more power and having and seeing the response to, that organizations have had to frontline workers. Yeah, you raise a really critical point there. And I, I know that I've been guilty of this, too, around many of my conversations over the last two years have been 
focused on how the pandemic has impacted office workers and people who have had to shift to remote work overnight. But oftentimes we're not actually looking at the full cohort of workers and the, the issues that people who are on the front lines are experiencing with inclusion and belonging and not feeling psychologically safe whatsoever just because of the nature of their jobs. So I, I've really adjusted my vernacular and my mindset around, you know, when we're talking about employees, we're actually talking about everyone who is working. We're not just focusing on this special group of people who, oh, so sad, had to go work from home overnight, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you said that. I mean, and also thinking about the, the employees who are in the field, the employees who are in the plant, the em employees who are on the, on the floor, all of those employees, even sales, business development employees as well. They are often left out of these conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion, and they often don't have access to whatever workshops and good-intentioned presentations, lunch and learns, town halls, whatever, that's, that is offered to office employees. And I think that they are really excluded um, from these conversations, but they should be part of the conversation because their voice matters as well. And in many cases, they're the face of the brand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think what this just shines a light on is just wherever you turn in, in our society, there is preferential treatment of some group here or there or wherever, right? And I think that the pandemic has given us a, a moment to pause and actually go, wow, okay, there, there are these in, inequities. And you know, how do we actually help every person feel included? Um, not just the desk workers or, you know, the people who are in these beautiful campuses where they have all the supplies they need to do their jobs. Um, so, you know, I, I think I'd like to step down now into just understanding, um, you know, we've talked a, a bit about the importance of inclusion and what's changed for inclusion, but can you help me make the link between inclusion and psychological safety? Because I, I think that's another area where we're not really focusing on all kinds of workers when we're thinking about psychological safety. We really do focus on the office workers. So perhaps just help me understand the link between inclusion and psychological safety, and then we can step down into what we're going to do about it. Sure. Well, you don't get to a state of inclusion or this place of inclusion. I'm obviously very much in flux and it's very much individual, but you don't get there without someone feeling psychologically safe. So psychological safety is a component of inclusion and it happens at the team level. It's not something that is really organization wide. It's something that can change depending on the leadership or the management of the team and the individual folks on the team. So psychological safety is about each, each person's degree of comfort, sharing their authentic selves, sharing their big ideas, sharing their failures. It's about how safe enough they feel to speak up. So that includes with their own individual identities, with their own personal struggles, with their fears, with their mistakes, their failures. And if a leader has created an environment where the, all of the team members feel safe enough bringing all of that stuff to the table, then they're probably going to feel safe enough bringing their big game-changing ideas, the ideas that can lead to innovation, the, 
the ideas that we hear about when we hear about all of the financial benefits of diversity and inclusion, we don't get there without psychological safety. We don't get there without employees feeling safe enough to share their failures, share their mistakes, and share their big, big ideas. And managers have a role to play in that because when managers themselves share their, fa their failures, their mistakes, and their ideas, and their own personal stuff as well, it can be contagious. Yeah, so as I'm hearing you, you talk about this ideal environment for psychological safety to flourish and for people to be themselves and to feel supported and able to speak up. I guess my question to you is, why would we as leaders not want that kind of environment? Like, why does it seem like we, we see some leaders go out of their way to almost create an opposite kind of experience for their people? Like, what's, like, it just seems to me it's so obvious. Just be a decent human being, let people be themselves, and look at all these great downstream benefits from acting in that way. But why do we choose to do the opposite? Well, we're, we're changing the tide from centuries, not, maybe not centuries, perhaps centuries, certainly decades of a leadership model that was focused on strength and a perception of invincibility and the percent, per perception of the figurehead. Certainly embedded in all of that is toxic masculinity, you know? So sort of the combination of those, you know, certainly those decades of that being the prize leadership skill sort of epitomized by Jack Welsh from GE and that sort of, you know, kind of iron fist leadership style. That's what we're repairing, right? And there are still lots of folks in the workplace, many of whom are in the C-suite, who grew up with that leadership style. That was how they were led. And now we're, we're asking them to change. And so, you know, change takes a while. It's the perception of what makes a good leader is evolving. Yeah, I was chatting with one of my prior podcast guests, uh, Laurie Bennett of Within People, and he has been focusing a lot of his energy on unlearning the traditional way of leading. And that it, it just um, jives so well with what you were just talking about around how we really have to, and I like how you framed it around repairing. Um, because it was broken before, right? Like, let's be honest. And, I, and again, not to sort of continue to beat this drum, but like, I think the pandemic gave us the pause to actually go, wow, there is a lot that we need to be working on here. And like, status quo is no longer acceptable. Yes, it's certainly required leaders or should have required leaders to admit what they don't know and become more curious about how to support each individual employee and meet them where they're at. That's what successful leaders did during the pandemic or are doing, is they ask great questions and they realize that each individual contributor has their own story and has their own challenges. And the way to best support them is to ask them good questions and just have, like you said before, kind of a honest human conversation, decent human being type stuff. But 
again, we're sort of um, reco- in, in recovery from this other style of leadership. Yeah, and I, I like your focus there on the individual level. Um, like I'm personally a proponent of human-centric workplaces, and it's something that I believe in strongly, that you've got to start at the individual level. So perhaps let's springboard off that idea, and I'll, I'd like to just sort of dig a little bit at bringing inclusion and psychological safety together. Um, how, if we have those two things working together and they're flourishing in an organization, what does that do for feelings of engagement and enablement for individuals within their daily jobs and daily things they do together at work? Ultimately, the goal, the holy grail that any organization should strive to create for their employees is this sense of belonging. And so if there are a high percentage of employees who feel like their teams are psychologically safe and they can take those risks, not only to share their big ideas, but to be themselves authentically. And if they feel like their leaders have their back and all of these things are lining up, then there is going to be a a higher percentage or likelihood of, of belonging. And when employees belong, it's going to decrease turnover. It's going to, again, create create the environment where folks are more innovative, are more creative, are more collaborative in a way that's more authentic and meaningful. And so when we're looking at not only and I don't. I hate to bring this back to you know dollars and cents, but it seems that the business case seems to always still need to be reiterated. But if we're saving money on turnover and we're earning money by more by seeing the results of greater innovation, then it's just a win-win. It's it's an investment that has really significant rewards. Investing in in coaching and and training for leaders to help them create these types of environments for their teams. It, for their individual employees, it does have like a, it, it's not, a, I don't think it's a direct correlation, but there's definitely causation there. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And if you were to talk to a group of leaders today and give them like your most important action that they can take today to be creating those more inclusive and psychologically safe environments, which lead to feelings of belonging, as you just outlined, like what is that one or two like critical action that, that they should be taking right now? I created a contextual model called the ARC method for this purpose. And so we use the ARC method in our workshops and our trainings to help help leaders and individual contributors, because I think individual contributors have a role to play in creating psychological safety as well but to help everyone be a better ally and also speak up if they witness a microaggression. So ARC method stands for ask, respect, connect, and you have to follow all three steps so the, or the ARC will collapse. So ARC uh, ask is about asking good open-ended questions, becoming more curious, perhaps getting permission to ask a question, perhaps starting with sharing some of your own experience and then asking a question, but genuinely asking a question to to get a little bit deeper with someone. But then the R is about respecting the answer. It's about, you know, not checking your phone, not having your arms crossed, being a, you know, a present active listener. 
It's about not being dismissive of whatever you hear, even if you don't like what you hear. It's about being present and being respectful. And then finally, the C is connect. And that is all about fulfilling your promise. It's about perhaps validating the person who spoke to you, paraphrasing what they said, maybe getting to solutions depending on the, the particular scenario. But it's really about the follow through. It's about letting the person know that you've heard them, that you have a commitment that you're going to be making. And it's just about, again, sort of having this sense of fulfilling the promise that you started when you asked the question. You can also use the ARC method in a different set of instructions uh, for speaking up if you witness a microaggression, because a lot of times we let microaggressions go because we're afraid of calling someone out and putting them on the defensive and then, you know, rocking the organizational culture. But when we let microaggressions slide, we're essentially saying that they're okay. And so you can use the ARC method to, uh, to call someone out as well. And that's something every individual contributor can do. There's a, an ARC method cheat sheet that you can download on my website at theequalityinstitute.com slash ARC, A-R-C. Awesome. Well, I will share that in the show notes as well. Um, that model or method really seems quite scalable too, because it sounds like you can use it for a very basic conversation or calling someone out on something. But I can see it being something that you can actually use at a team-wide level for setting the tone and the quality of the interactions you have with one another and the expectations you set for leaders and individual contributors to interact with one another. Exactly. Yeah, it's something that we teach in most of the workshops we have here at Equality Institute. It's something I talk about in my keynote. And it's something that can not only be used to have those conversations, but it can be used to set organizational priorities. It can be used to figure out the current state and make a plan of action just by looking at, at by starting by asking really good questions, respecting the answers, and then connecting to solutions. And so it is scalable. And when we do teach it to organizations, we find that they start to embed it into their own ways of communicating. And we look for ways to tie it into their own leadership um, methodologies. Yeah, and I think that coming back to something that we talked about at the very beginning around going from theory into action is often where people get stuck. But using something that is fairly straightforward and, and structured in a very simple way, like your ARC method, I think is something that could be very helpful to leaders who are feeling particularly vulnerable and frightened about having these conversations or taking these actions. So. Um, thank you so much uh, for, for sharing that. I, you know, and I think it is just important to continue to emphasize that we've got to get to action. You know, it's one thing to have the idea and the desire to change, but you've got to act on it. Absolutely. And again, I'm, I think that so many people are afraid of saying the wrong thing. They're afraid of getting it wrong. And, but the solution is so much simpler than we realize. And it's just that we have to ask a question. And we can, if we are just willing to ask a good question, we can start to make progress towards all sorts of inclusion goals. Yeah, and I suppose it's, it is worth acknowledging that sometimes there's a lot sitting behind just asking a question. There's fear, there's vulnerability, there's not wanting to show up with all, without all the answers, there's 
ego, there's, you know, there's all these things that might prevent you from asking the question. But I think what we're hoping to see is that more leaders are prepared to put themselves in that vulnerable space and grow themselves while they help their team grow as individuals. Absolutely. I think we just have to get out of our heads about it. We overthink things. Way overthink things. It's again, absolutely comes back down to, to respect and, and, and compassion. Yep, absolutely. So, um, you know, as we're closing here, um, I guess my last question for you is, what is your top wish for workplaces in 2022? My top wish for workplaces in 2022 is to keep the momentum up. It's so easy to get distracted by competing priorities. There were a lot of big promises made last year and even this year in the racial justice conversations. And some things that were started aren't going to work. And some things may have already failed. And some things are, you know, you just haven't made a lot of progress yet. But keep going. Keep the momentum up. Like I said before, this is a long game. It's a cumulative experience. Collect the little wins along the way, but just keep going. That's very helpful advice. And um, again, I love that you've, you've kept it focused on just keep doing something, right? And uh, I think that e even the smallest of actions add up to a lot of change eventually. So we just have to keep going at it. So thanks, Bernadette. Really enjoyed the time together here today and uh, I wish you well and uh, I certainly hope that your wish for 2022 comes true and I'll do my best to to help that endeavor. Thanks so much Bev. Thanks for listening to People at Work. If you enjoyed the episode today please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and if you'd like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts we'd really appreciate it. We'd love to get this material into the ears, hearts, and minds of as many listeners as possible and would really appreciate your help. Until next time.